0: This is an ABC podcast. Hello and welcome to Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor.
1: And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Friday the 30th of October.
0: It sure is. And we have a special guest with us today, Professor Terry Nolan from the Doherty Institute at the University of Melbourne and the Murdoch Children's Research Institute, and a vaccine expert here to answer real questions from our audience. Welcome, Terry.
1: Hi. Lovely to be here. So Terry, why don't you just give us a very brief overview of where we're at with vaccines at the moment?
2: Where we're at is really at the pointy edge of discovering which, if any, of the candidate vaccines are likely to be effective. And we may well know within the next four weeks to six weeks whether any of the lead ones from US-based multinational collaborations are. And also the Chinese. The Chinese have four or five candidates as well so it is really getting very close to a point where we'll understand that in terms of the safety question that's a much more complicated question in terms of when we'll have confident enough uh, data to give reasonable reassurance.
0: So four to six weeks is pretty short and excitingly short time period but you say this this safety section is a bit longer and do, do we have ballpark figures for how long that might be?
2: No, it's much harder, and the US FDA, the Federal Drug Administration, have issued a recent guideline which um, has added a much more stringent set of rules for the amount of observation of subjects in the clinical trials that will be required, even if there is an early signal of vaccine effectiveness. Basically, that might take it out several more weeks at least, if not some months, Depending on how soon an early analysis might reveal that a vaccine is potentially
1: effective. And just to summarise that, really, what we're talking about is that the trial might be over, but they're going to follow the people who had the real vaccine for another two or three months, just to make sure there are no late side effects.
2: Yeah, that's right. They that would still, Norman, they would still be regarded as early side effects. So late side effects, of course, people in in vaccines in general, we often think that things even years down the track um, are of concern and require a degree of vigilance and observation uh, once vaccines are rolled out, even long after being registered, but certainly in the first several months of first human exposure in these large-scale trials. Uh, each of these trials, by the way, are of the order of 30 to 40,000 subjects. These are much bigger than usual vaccine trials on their own And in the aggregate, we're actually going to have a massive amount of early exposure experience. But in terms of how many months after the doses are concerned, there's nothing we can do to accelerate that. That's just going to have to be looked at in terms of the passage of
1: time. So what's your guesstimate? I mean, what's your best bet about where we're going to be at the end of the year?
2: I think it's very likely we'll have results from at least two or maybe three of the candidates by the end of the year that might indicate that the vaccine is effective. But my guess is by that time, we still won't have enough observation period for the major regulator, in this case, the American FDA, to judge that a vaccine would be suitable for what's called emergency use authorization. So um, if you like a preliminary license, still subject to further rules of uh, observation but enough to release a vaccine for use in priority high risk populations in uh, in a particular country.
0: So Terry uh, this week On CoronaCast, we've told our audience that we were going to have a vaccine expert on and you're it. We've got questions for you from them. This person's asking, currently there's infrastructure and regulations in place to get new seasonal flu vaccines developed and approved for use within a year, much faster than a brand new vaccine. Is that something you could see happening with SARS-CoV-2 vaccines in the future to deal with mutations on coronaviruses in in general?
2: The answer is most definitely yes. So once these platforms uh, are established in terms of their safety, and their effectiveness, if there have to be modifications only to the, if you like, the genetic sequence of a virus if it is mutating year on year, Uh, I can see no reason why they would have to undergo any more rigorous evaluation than we would normally do for the flu vaccine.
0: Actually, that's something that we get a lot of questions on, is this question of mutation, whether this coronavirus is mutating and whether vaccines that are developed now are going to be effective on the the strains of virus that are circulating in, in a year's time.
2: So, the first thing to say is that coronavirus is a much more stable virus than the influenza virus, for example. It has a gene called a mismatch repair gene, that actually self-repairs any minor mutations that uh, do occur whereas the flu virus does not have that gene and so it can't fix itself up, which is why the flu virus is such a fragile virus and always changing. Nonetheless, we do know that mutations still do occur. Of course, they will and may not have been repaired by the virus, and there may be other adaptive reasons why a particular mutation makes the virus more what's called fit, in other words, more able to sustain itself and therefore survive. And we do know that since the outbreak from Wuhan There have been a number of mutations. There is a worldwide database of uh, viral genomes. And now that um, many, many, many thousands and thousands of um, uh, viruses isolated from infected people have now been sequenced, so it's possible now to track this very, very meticulously. This has never happened before. What is really interesting is that some of those mutations may have an effect on the extent to which a vaccine is targeted that might theoretically mean... That the vaccine itself will not be as effective or maybe even not effective at all against a uh, subsequently mutated and circulating strain. So all of the vaccines now which are in the field have been targeted at the circulating Wuhan genome from January this year and it is possible and there is some uh, scientific evidence to suspect that some of the mutations circulating may mean that the vaccines will be off target. So no matter how good the vaccine is in general, if it's pointing at the wrong part of the protein, for example, because it's been altered and it's not recognised by the immune system, then the vaccine won't work. So this is a bit of a doomsday phenomenon. I'm not predicting it will happen, but I'm just saying to be completely transparent here that it is theoretically possible that some or even all of the vaccines may not be as effective depending on what the circulating strains are and how different they are from the original Wuhan strain.
1: Another question is, uh, have have any vaccine candidates been junked so far because they don't work?
2: Not not that I'm aware of, and certainly none of the lead candidates. Those that have published their results and made them available, where they have published particularly challenge studies from non-human primates, from monkeys, or other small animals such as hamsters, and have shown very high levels of protection and, uh, and also very good antibody responses, all the things that you would expect for a novel vaccine development. All the lead candidates um, have shown very good results in all of those or most of those areas, with one exception, and that is that none of the candidates has shown that it produces what's called sterilising immunity. In other words, is so good at um, mopping up the virus as soon as you've got it that it prevents it being transmitted. In other words, in the challenge studies, it will prevent severe disease in monkeys who have been infected with uh, the virus. That's what a challenge study means. Having been vaccinated, they are protected from severe illness, from pneumonia or death. But the vaccination in those studies that have been published does not prevent virus remaining in the nose and in the, some of the other body fluids, which are assayed for what's called viral shedding. Um, after they've been challenged.
1: So we actually have a question along those lines uh, uh, from one of our um, vaccinologists, I suspect <laughs> vaccinologists listeners, but a very well-educated group of listeners. If you've had, and just it's exactly on this point, because we made the point several times on Coronacast that the vaccine is to prevent disease, not necessarily passing on the infection. And the question asks, if a vaccine is available, but it still doesn't prevent infection, do you still have to isolate So in other words, what's your public health response once a vaccine is available, if it's not preventing infection, the spread of infection, but it is preventing disease? Yes,
2: yes, I think that's quite right. It it may well have implications for the extent to which someone is still regarded as infectious or not. And secondly, and even more importantly, actually, is that it will likely have a, a potentially large impact on herd immunity. So that even though you're protected from getting severe disease, if transmission is still going on, the whole point about having a herd who is protected is that if they're exposed to the virus, they won't get it and pass it on to someone else. But if you're exposed to the virus, you've been vaccinated, but uh, you still will uh, shed the virus to someone else, it means that uh, you're not totally immune. In other words, the herd
1: protection is less likely to come into play. How likely is it that the second wave of vaccines coming through are gonna be better than the first wave?
2: Very likely. There's a lot of um, interesting innovation in the, uh, in the newer candidates that have been generated through the, focus, the, absolute, the whole scientific world almost has uh, really dropped tools and focused on this disease. So people who've been working in other areas have now focused their attention as a result of that. Lots of new ideas uh, that are emerging and it remains to be seen um, where their development will go if it turns out that from this front row there are a number of vaccines that are superbly protective with very high vaccine efficacy and also if it turns out that they do protect as we were saying before against transmission as well as against severe disease it won't matter too much if there are better vaccines if the margin of improvement is trivial But nonetheless there's there's, there's cause for optimism there's a a lot of excellent science which is still in the pipeline behind these front runners
0: thank you so much professor terry nolan for joining us on coronacast today
2: been a pleasure thank you
1: that's been a fascinating coronacast and if you've got any questions Please send them into abc.net.au slash coronacast and go to Ask Your Questions and Mention Coronacast so we can pick them
0: up. And if you've got a comment, leave it there. If you've got a suggestion for a person with specific expertise that you want us to interview, let us know. And please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you can. And
1: we'll see you on Monday.
0: See you then.